This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Welcome back to Education Matters. I'm Katie Olmsted, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association, which represents 120,000 K-12 teachers, education support professionals, and higher ed faculty members in the state. So much of what happens in their classrooms in Ohio depends on who is in the governor's mansion and their priorities for public education in the state. That's why it's so important to learn more about what all of the candidates who are running for governor this year stand for. OEA invited all of the declared candidates, both Democrats and Republicans, to share their views with educators at a recent member activist forum. The two Democrats in the race accepted our invitation. We'll hear what former Cincinnati Mayor John Cranley had to say on the next Education Matters episode. But first, here's former Dayton Mayor Nan Whaley sitting down with OEA President Scott DeMauro to answer questions from our members. And true enough, when you're a mayor, you don't really have the luxury of saying that's not my problem. And certainly the summer of 2019 put a fine point on that for me. Uh, In the course of 10 weeks, we experienced uh, a KKK rally that came from out of state to incite hatred and fear in our community, which we pushed back. Uh, 48 hours later, we we experienced 15 tornadoes that ripped through our center city, the first time in the history of Dayton. And then 10 weeks later, we experienced a senseless mass shooting that left nine of our neighbors dead and 27 more injured. when we had the vigil the next night in the Oregon district, thousands of Daytonians lined the streets to try to make sense of something senseless. Uh, and Mike DeWine took to the stage to speak. And the people in Dayton uh, rose up and shouted in frustration, do something. I don't know if you saw it. Do something. Well, I'm Nan Whaley and I'm running for governor because I intend to do something. Uh, Now, it is also safe to say that when I came in to, uh, fair to say when I came in as mayor of Dayton, uh, Dayton was at a low point. We had probably the second worst Great Recession in the country behind Detroit with a loss of manufacturing jobs. We led the nation in accidental overdose deaths. Thousands of houses lay vacant. But, you know, Daytonians take action and they do something. So the first thing I did as mayor was really bring together the community to solve and work on the opioid epidemic. The first thing we did was sue the drug companies. We were the fourth city in the country, the first in the state. We won uh, and have brought millions of dollars back to communities across the state of Ohio. And we also worked to treat addiction like the disease that it is, really working on getting the the treatment that um, folks need when they're in the throes of addiction and trying to meet folks where they are. We cut accidental overdose deaths in half in Dayton. We're not even one of the top 10 counties in the state now. And even last year, where accidental overdose deaths uh, across the country were over 100,000 people, the most ever, Dayton remained flat in that cut of 50%. Uh, When we saw that our kids were nearing kindergarten prepared to reach uh, K through 12, again, we brought teachers and the business community together to work to find a way forward. On the same night that Montgomery County uh, voted for Donald Trump, the people of Dayton passed high quality preschool for every single four-year-old. It's been so successful. We've added every three-year-old this past summer. We've become a national best practice and fancy cities like Santa Barbara are coming into Dayton to figure out how we get this done. Uh, 
So as I've seen this and I've traveled to 87 counties across the state, 86, tomorrow's 87, 86 counties across the state, uh, I see this kind of action happening from local leaders all across the state, everyone doing their level best to move their community forward, but they frankly don't have a partner at the state house. Uh, we joke as local leaders that on a bad day, on a good day, they ignore us, and on a bad day, they actively try to undermine us, and frankly, we deserve better. Uh, so that what I want to do as governor is want to make sure that folks pay goes up, their bills go down, and they have a government that works for them. So here's what I mean. We need to make sure when we're talking pay goes up that one good job is enough in the, for the state. I don't care what work you do, you should be able to provide for your family with a good paying job. And so we need to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, we also need to make sure that we're investing in the jobs of the future like renewable energy and renewable energy technology. Uh, uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania, frankly, are eating our lunch when it comes to building solar panels and wind turbines. We need to be making those, those here and those provide really good paying jobs. Uh, and then we also need to invest in our small businesses. Too often we see one region lose a win and the rest of the regions lose. And if we invested in small businesses, towns as small as Portsmouth and Zanesville could see the kind of renaissance that they need to see. The state has really not been a partner with small business development. But we got to get uh, weight, uh, uh, bills to come down to, right? And one of the best ways I think to do this is to really invest in childcare and pass preschool across the state. Uh, we saw 2 million American women opt out of the workforce. Uh, and I think a lot of that had to do uh, over these past few years because they cannot pencil out childcare. And no offense to you gentlemen, 70% of the work for childcare are done by women. And they're the ones that have to figure that out for their families. Uh, if this state truly wants to be a great place to raise families, we need to invest in childcare. It's scarce, scarce and it's too expensive right now, clocking in about $14,000 a year, the same as a year of tuition. Uh, so investing in childcare can get families' bills down. Also making sure that we invest in, you know, consumers' needs for utilities, not those that are providing electricity, uh, because we can get those bills down. And then finally, making sure that corporations and the wealthy, wealthy pay their fair share in taxes so local school boards and local communities don't have to continue to raise uh, property taxes that goes to the burden of working families. So I don't think this is rocket sciences. Pay go up, bills go down. The reason why we can't have this is we clearly have a government in the state house that's not working for us. If you haven't heard, the FBI has called the Ohio State House the most corrupt in the country. And believe me, as I travel the nation, sometimes people disagree. They think that's it might be their state, but I'm telling you, this is what the FBI has said. And it is all around this first energy scandal. Uh, a company that uh, bankrolled Mike DeWine's campaign in 2018, and in return, he gave them everything they wanted, including a billion-dollar bailout paid for by you and me every single month on our electric bill. They wanted their top lobbyist to be the top utility regulator. DeWine did it, even though everyone told him not to. When the guy's house was getting raided by the FBI, DeWine went to the press the very same day and said he was a great guy. When First Energy settled with the Department of Justice, they admitted they bribed the guy with $4 million to look out for them, not us. Look, this is atrocious, but it's just the latest, worst example. If I were here four years ago, I'd be telling you about the electronic classrooms of tomorrow, where they had a big donor uh, and had an idea of a virtual school with no students, where they sucked money out of public education. If I were here six years ago, I'd be telling you about the payday lenders that had a big donor 
that had a, an enormous interest rates, the highest in the country, that they were sucking money out of our poor communities. This is what they've done. Mike DeWine has been complicit in this, and he has, he has actually benefited from this since he's been in office since I was 10 months old. So the first thing I did when I announced I was running for governor was put together an anti-corruption plan. You can see it at my website at nanwhaley.com ethics to clean up the state house. We need a complete overhaul. That includes making sure that we don't have politicians policing themselves, that we get rid of the revolving door. You either work for the government or you work for corporations. You don't work for both and make sure that we have transparency in the money that's in our campaigns. Now, I believe in the state. I believe how resilient it is. I'm so grateful for the time to talk to the folks that have really kept us going, particularly during the pains they've had during the COVID pandemic, and really appreciate the opportunity to talk to teachers today. Scott, I'll turn it back to you. Thank you, Nan. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to be with us and, and respond to questions and, and share your vision for the future of Ohio. Earlier today, we, we had our uh, meeting of our state PAC council and uh, one of our members uh, asked me to ask a question that I think gets at the larger issue of school funding. And so the specific question is, how as governor would you balance incentives to bring business to Ohio like, for example, with the big Intel uh, announcement, uh, with the need to provide financial support for public education. And I guess to expand on that a little bit, where are you on the Fair School Funding Plan, which, as, as you know, I'm sure uh, was part of the budget, but only partially funded in the last budget cycle. As governor, what would be your plan for school funding? First, I'll say this. Look, I think what we've seen, and as I mentioned in my opening, is that we have had this failed policy idea for 20 years that if we cut state taxes on the mega corporations and the wealthy, that it would trickle down into our communities, into our education, into our schools. And it just simply hasn't happened. What we've seen is that schools that can have had to you know, raise pro property taxes, which is on working families, and those that can't really do without. And I think the state can do a lot more by just making sure that everybody pays the same same amount that working families pay. And that could be a large increase in the amount of money we can provide for local communities and local education. So I think that's really important. When it comes to Intel, I'm really happy for the Columbus region. Um, Intel is a good investment. We have put $2 billion as Ohioans in it. We need to make sure that what they say they're going to do, they're going to do because we are investors now in Intel, right? And so we've seen too often where Mike DeWine cuts a really big ribbon and no jobs come or the promises are shortened. You will need only to ask the folks in Northwest Ohio. The same week that Intel was announced, they announced the Peloton deal that was supposed to provide 2,000 jobs was not going to happen, but Mike DeWine didn't care because he had already cut the ribbon on that sucker, right? So, you know, we need to make sure we're going to get what we've said that the money that, that we've put in, that we're getting that. Uh, the second part of your question is about uh, is about school funding. And look, the fair school fun fair funding plan, I mean, we've been waiting since what, 94 for them to do something meaningful. And I know this was, uh, I think, kudos to Representative Patterson, who worked on this before when he termed out, and to Representative Sweeney. Uh, and unfortunately, this is just a two-year deal, right? We knew it really needed to be longer term. So I'm in favor of making sure we see this through over the next six years. I know that's what you all were fighting for to get that done. My concern is as soon as they did that, then they introduced the backpack bill, uh, which was just... Uh, 
uh, you know, basically privatization of education is what this is. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm from Dayton and, you know, Scott, what uh, John Husted did 20 years ago to Dayton public schools. He decided to make our children an experiment with charters that were unregulated. They have destabilized our education system for decades. It's not something you can really climb back for until Hurricane Katrina hit. Dayton had the most children in charter schools per capita of any city in the country, right? So we've seen, we know what happens when the privatization of public education comes. It is not good for communities. Children don't learn as well. It doesn't provide what we need and we need to fight this as hard as possible too. But that's what we're kind of used to with the state legislature these days, right? They'll take like a half a step forward and like three steps back. So, and I think that that segues nicely to Angela Stewart's question. Angela is uh, on the OEA board and NEA director and, and teaches in the Reynoldsburg schools uh, outside of Columbus. Uh, and, and really the question is about dealing with extremism. Um, you know, if, if you're elected governor, uh, in all likelihood, you'd still be dealing with a uh, legislature that includes a lot of people who are very hostile to public education. And right now, one of the issues that we're dealing with is attacks on uh, students' freedom to learn and, and educators' freedom to teach, uh, teach an honest education, uncensored. Uh, but, you know, people are choosing to use race as a wedge issue. And, and um, you know, we see it here in Ohio. And also it's a pattern across the country with educational gag orders, uh, book bans, things like that. So how would you as governor, first off, what, what would be your approach for dealing with, you know, fundamental issues of academic freedom and, and, and honesty and education, uh, but also kind of dealing with a legislature, you know, that has a lot of members that, and, and who knows if it's majority, supermajority or what, uh, but certainly a, a majority from the other party. How, how do you do that as uh, in that position as governor? Right. Well, first, I have a couple of thoughts I want to point out. First, I want to say that the redistricting fight that we're in the midst of, this is why this is so important, right? We need state rep and state Senate races to be decided in the generals, not in the primaries, because when they're decided in primaries, we see really radical ideas around education, around gun safety, around COVID, around you name it, right? So really getting this redistricting and fighting this way through is so important. And we wanna make sure that that happens because it will help us have a more normal state house as far as ideas come forward. I think their whole vision might change if they have to fight in the general than in the primary. Uh, secondly, look, I think I was really proud last November and, and actually went and campaigned last November for many of the school board members that were being attacked by the extreme right around um, these ideas of like not teaching history. Right. And um, we actually did really well across the state on this. They put more money in our school board races. And I know you all did a lot of work on this, too. They put more money in our in those races. And basically we did. If you look at the how we did, we did really well, except if we had two normal person and one extreme person, then, you know, the normal people would split out. Right. So, you know, really getting, you know, head to head, one normal and one extreme, we do a lot better. And I was really proud to see that, uh, particularly in a lot of our suburban districts that people did not take the bait on this, right. They know what they want. They want their kids to be taught a history, both the good and the bad and we want to move on. I want us to be careful too. I think a lot of this, you know, when we're talking about a lot of this stuff, you as teachers know, we're not teaching the stuff they're saying that's being taught in public schools. It's not happening. So this is like a false argument 
uh, and then they move in to make a real argument. And we saw some of the extremist thoughts this past week by a representative around, you know, some anti-Semitism that's coming out and just an awful lot of a lot of troubling uh, conversations out of out of just basically radicals. So I, I want us to always remember when we're fighting these things, number one, the public is with us on this. The public agrees with us. Uh, and secondly, you know, let's be really common sense about this. I don't think we need to make this too hard. And I think we can definitely beat this back because I think the Ohio public are with us on this issue in a, in a really big way. Now, as governor, you know, look, like for me, like I will veto anything that comes across my desk that does anything to inhibit our ability to have free speech in schools and our ability to really teach history. I know this seems to be a low bar that this is what we have to get to in a conversation about the governor's race, but I will veto anything that does that, right? And um, I just want to thank teachers. Frankly, you know, I've talked to a lot of you, a, a lot of teachers got have been to our meet and greets across the state. Uh, uh, I think there's not a room where a teacher or a veteran's not in the room with us. And what teachers have gone through during the pandemic and their patience with our kids and our families uh, and I understand how ex how exhaustion certainly could have set in. Uh, I'm really, really grateful because we've seen what the value is, particularly out of what we've been through these past two years. And it's just a darn shame that then we have to open up right into this fight after we've had all the, the challenges with COVID. Uh, but that's I think that's the partner you'll see with me in the governor's seat, frankly. Thanks, Dan. And uh, our friend John Hermiller, uh, my colleague from the math department at Worthington Kilbourne High School uh, had a question in the chat that I think really directly addressed uh, you know, what you were just talking about, and that is fighting against corruption but, and, and working against extremism uh, in the other party you know, if, if, when you're governor and, and you're dealing with the hostile legislature. So um, Don Wojcik, who you may know from- I know Don, uh, yeah. Retired, great retired teacher from Montgomery uh, yeah, County. Uh, she, she raises the question, thanks for all your work in helping us repeal Senate Bill 5. Uh, we couldn't have saved collective bargaining uh, with voices like yours in the fight with us. Uh, how do you see us defending ourselves from those who want to continue to bring an anti-union agenda to Ohio? Yeah, thank you, Don, and thank you for all you've done, uh, did uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and I was proud after the Senate Bill 5, uh, 5 fight that I was a uh, named public official of the year with uh, Western Ohio OEA. So it was very, a proud moment get to see with you all, sit with you all. Uh, and, you know, I actually sat in OEA's offices for the, from August to November as deputy manager in 2011 in a little corner, you know, just trying to organize as much as we could. That's how important it is to me is, you know, really doing anything I could to protect collective bargaining rights. It's who I am. Uh, you know, my dad, uh, taught and my parents taught me uh, from a very young age that I wouldn't have gotten to go to school without organized labor. Organized labor is really, really important. It's the core of who I am as a Democrat, frankly. So it was an honor to get to do that work. Look, I think what we're really, you know, key on, on fighting collective bargaining um, attacks, and we have to be very steadfast about this, particularly in the public sector, is to have a governor that you know where they sit on this issue, right? To have a real partner in this effort. Again, getting the redistricting to happen. So we do, we are out of super minority and protecting the line item veto will be really key in protecting collective bargaining, but also just being proactive instead of being defensive, right? I think that's the key that the governor's office brings is we can actually be offensive about 
encouraging more uh, union organizing, more opportunities for unions to be in the decision-making processes as we work the state house for working families. And that's what I offer as, a, as, a, as, as the governor candidate and as governor is a real open door and partnership to see our way forward to really build and grow union membership across the state. Uh, and I look forward to that. I think, look, we know, and I, I'm probably speaking to the choir here, we know that you know, union membership is key to building the middle class. That when the when union membership is the highest in our country, that's when the middle class is the strongest and we can see how it's been chipped away and how that has affected families, people that are working, that are working honestly two jobs and still having to go to the food bank. It's un-American, it's un-Ohioan, and it's because of the weakening of collective bargaining. Uh, so this is important, not just to people that are in unions, but people that can be in unions and the opportunity to really grow the wage and grow the middle class across the, across the state. Thanks. And I, I, so on another note, but I think related is uh, Dwayne Marshall's question. Dwayne is a uh, social studies teacher in Guyana, uh, also one of our leaders at the state and national level. Uh, what will be your role as governor to help boost the teacher profession? Uh, you know, we're, we're seeing edu growing educator shortages across the state, across the country. Uh, and, you know, a lot of an alarming number of educators who are saying they're feeling burnt out. They, they're thinking about retiring early uh, and fewer and fewer people choosing education uh, as a major, you know, in college. So how will you partner with us in, in addressing the teacher shortage and really making sure that we have a strong uh, pipeline of, of caring, qualified, committed people going into the education profession? Well, I mean, again, first, I think we've been on the defense where we've had um, uh, basically for the past two administrations that have vilified the work of teachers, right? So I think, you know, holding teachers up as key parts of our community, I think is really, really important. Um, and I think there's big opportunities. Again, I can understand, right? So you have all the challenges with national and state pushes that we're seeing around even the right to teach what you want, want you know, what you think is appropriate to teach as an educator that's been, you know, trained for a long time to do this, you know, having other people come and tell you what to do, I think is challenging uh, from the state. And then secondly, you know, constant worries of making sure that the school is well-funded and the school has what they need. I think those are, those are turnoffs for teachers. And so making sure teachers have the resources that they need to be effective in the classroom is really, really important. And something that these, these past three decades, these guys have just not been interested in. You know, they've been doing a race to the bottom. And I, I'm, again, I, I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. You know, you've had to do more with less over and over again. And it's time to really invest in um, folks' classrooms and their schools in a, in a real way. Now, the fair funding helps, but th th there's, there's also a piece of like championing teachers, right? Uh, teachers are key not only to what they do in educating um, um, our communities and educating our future workforce, but I, I, there's this fabric of te what teachers do in a community that is, I think, um, people don't really understand. You know, my my husband right now is a, is a, a school treasurer for a suburban school in in Dayton, and to see just the work that teachers do in that sub in that in that city, it's it's the fabric of the entire community. Uh, and we need a governor that gets that and is willing to champion that and to call that out and then to invest in it. Uh, I think that's what's really, really important. And 
Um, I think, you know, I'm open to other ideas of partnerships with the OEA about this. I think there's great opportunity here. Uh, but I mean, I think every, every student, I mean, I'm sure like I, you know, every student, every person that's gone through school has a teacher that has changed their lives. Uh, and we need to focus on that a little more rather than um, like made up politics about what's going on in the classroom. And I'm sure you'll agree with us that, that when we talk about the educator shortage, we're not just talking about teachers. We're also talking about education support professionals, absolutely, bus drivers and cafeteria workers, and all the other adults who are so critical. We're feeling the the impact of those of those staff shortages, and, and our students are really directly, you know, uh, suffering from that. And that's so, you know, partnering together on on kind of the broad spectrum of 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 the need to get people in our in our schools is, uh, I think, is really critical. Um, let me just ask you. Uh, Couple of quick questions in the in the couple minutes that we have. One issue that we're dealing with right now is is pending legislation that would essentially remove training requirements for teachers who who would be authorized to carry weapons and other other adults, mm -hmm. uh, school employees. Where are you on that issue? Well, yes, yeah, Scott. I think as you know, when I was mayor too, we led the effort to work with you to. Uh, uh, put testimony in of our police chief, make sure that we talked about how important this is, this training is in the schools and beat some of this back last year. We knew it would come right back to us uh, just to make sure that people that have um, uh, a weapon in the school is fully trained to a large extent, right? Uh, you know, I think the challenge we've seen with this idea, and I mean, like, look, I mean, this, this, this is a failed idea where there are more guns in a place like a school, there is likely to be more deaths, right? And so we need to make sure that the people that have guns in our schools are well-trained um, and, and are able to use them, use them um, uh, safely, right? The idea to have just everybody in with no training whatsoever. And look, we saw this last week. I mean, this is the kind of extremism that Mike DeWine is signing off on, even though he knows it's it's, it's wrong with permitless concealed carry, for example, uh, policy that nobody agrees is good policy except radicals. Uh, he is just too weak to stand up to these guys. And you know, as as mayor and certainly as governor, you know, we need to have common sense gun safety rules and certainly tra training of of um, folks that have a weapon in a school is a must, must, must. Yeah, and, and speaking of extremism, I think we also saw uh, when after the State Board of Education passed a very thoughtful anti-racism resolution, uh, when members that the governor had appointed to the State Board stood their ground and said, we're gonna do, we're gonna stand up uh, and, and defend uh, what we voted for and, and equity for all students in the state. Uh, and he got some political heat. He fired uh, the yeah. members of the state board that voted the wrong way rather well, than standing yeah. up extremists on some part. We, we see his weakness over and over again, whether it was that example when there was the thoughtful, you know, uh, racism as a public health crisis that, that the Board of Education passed on redistricting, on COVID, on common sense gun safety. We can go on and on. You know, Mike DeWine says what is politically convenient at the time, but when the work is to be done, he goes with the radicals every single time. Yeah. So thank you so much. We're at the end. You, any final words uh, before uh, we say goodbye? 
Hey, no, I just really thank you for this opportunity to OEA. Appreciate the chance to speak to you all today. I'm asking for your support uh, and hope we can uh, see each other in person very soon. Again, OEA has reached out to all of the gubernatorial candidates multiple times asking them to talk with Ohio's educators. We will continue to make those asks and invite the candidates to reach out to us at educationmatters at ohea.org if they'd like to be heard here. Next week, we'll have part two of this special candidate conversation series to get a better idea of where John Cranley stands on the public education issues. Until next time, stay well. Thank you.